0: Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rider Flex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash RiderFlex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the RiderFlex podcast, we have guest Arazu Zarafshan. She's the founder of Startup Fundraising Academy, a serial entrepreneur, executive, and advisory board member. She shared some wonderful advice here for entrepreneurs, startup, founders, raising cash, (laughs) etc. All right. Happy to have Arzu Zarafshan on the Rider Flex podcast today. How are you doing, Arzu?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Hanging in there considering we're in a little bit of a crazy world. We're recording this, by the way, for the listeners on April 9th, 2020, which is a very interesting time for us it is it is
1: <laughs> are you, you know, uh are you uh, tra-
0: tra- trapped at home in golden is that where you're at
1: you know um we are at home i i i look at it positively we are safe at home and uh we are lucky to have a roof over our head and food on the table and our health so yes all things considering this is actually pretty good
0: you know isn't it it's refreshing to stay positive, isn't it? I've been pushing that message myself lately, uh, not only with my family, my wife, my friends, people I talk to, some of the coworkers at Riderflex. I just tell them I'm, i I just say, look i positive, positive energy, positive energy, think positive. let's look at the silver lining like you know you can you can wake up every day right now and and grab your your smartphone and look at social media and get depressed if you want to, but I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm going to stay, I'm staying positive as much as possible.
1: (laughs) Exactly. You know, we all have a choice, right? We can choose to be positive or we can choose to look at it negatively. And it's really our choice. And, you know, I mean, I, I I do understand that there are a lot of people that are actually struggling with Mm -hmm. the illness and their loved ones are not, not doing well and I feel for them. And, and especially looking at them and the frontline workers, the doctors, the nurses, you know, I think my goodness, how lucky could I be to be safe mm-hmm. at home, having my health, right. my family healthy. So, yeah.
0: Right. I'm, saying, I'm the same. I feel for anybody affected. I feel for the workers, but, but I'm also going to stay positive. I, I told my wife uh, yesterday, we were sitting on the back porch, finished up the day, having a little uh, happy hour, little, little, little couple happy hour on the back porch, and I said, you know, so, how many days have you been home, Nick? Work, I work from home. Rider Flex, we all work virtually. So my, my office is at home anyway. But I said, how many days have you been home? She goes, I think it's 24 days straight now. Wow. And I said, you know, we've been married 20 years, and I'm pretty sure we haven't been together 24 hours a day for 24 straight days ever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we haven't killed each other yet. This is fine. There
1: you go. Great test of your relationship. Right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, anyway, uh, enough about the coronavirus situation for now. Um, so give the listeners uh, a little uh, personal overview about you before we get into career and all that stuff. Just tell us about you as a person, maybe, you know, where you grew up, some family stuff, those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, I was born and raised in the Middle East. I uh, grew up in Iran. um, And Iran is also another corona epicenter, unfortunately, right now. Mm. Um, But I uh, went through a very interesting um, period. So in 1979, um, the regime of Iran changed from a monarchy to Islamic Republic. And so I I witnessed and, and I you know um, personally you know my family went through um, a lot of hardship because of of that change, and then in 1980 the war with Iraq broke out, and um, you know I grew up during the time of war with Iraq, so that was mm. an eight year war. Now I lived in the capital, uh, which wasn't. The front line, um, the front line was on the west side of Iran, and and we lived in the capital, which is north, um, and so we were mostly safe uh, from you know from the the impacts, the uh, the horrific impacts mm-hmm. of war. Uh, but but still, I mean, you go through a war and and uh, it, it you're you're changed forever. So um, mm-hmm. then in 1990, I moved to the U.S. Um, to go to school. To go to
0: college to go to college okay all Mm -hmm. right so you sorry so you finished high school in iran and then i finished high school okay okay was that the plan from uh, all along or were you trying to get away from the from the crazy war stuff or or were you planning on coming to the states for for school
1: it was always the plan okay it was always the plan for for me to um, move to the u.s um okay for college And then, um, you know, I came to the US and I I really identified with um, American values and American culture. And uh, I mean, I went through the culture shock. I mean, I still have my Iranian blood and and, um, very, very proud of that Iranian blood. I mean, it's not something I can change. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I, you know, from a from a values perspective, I really identified with American values, So I stayed ever since. You know, I was I've that was
0: indeed. was that tough. I mean, uh, I mean, wow, what a, I'm guessing it was a culture shock, right? It had to be. I, I'm, it I'm just was. Kidding.
1: And why'd you why'd
0: you so when you got here, you picked Washington State University, is that right? Correct. How, why is that?
1: My brother at the time was going to school there, um, oh, so my brother. Okay. Um, I have a sibling, so he um, had. Uh, come to the U.S. years earlier. And the reason why he had come to the U.S. was during the 1980 to 1988 war, um, the government of Iran, the Islamic Republic, Re- Republic of Iran, um, they were drafting kids as young as seven years old to the, to war. Wow. And so my brother, um, when he came to the U.S., he was 12. Uh, or when he left Iran, I should say, he didn't come to the U.S. right away. He was 12 uh, when he left Iran and there was a very short period of time that he could leave the country. And so my parents really, you know, uh, utilized that period of time to basically save his life. He was a kid. And so um, he came abroad and then... um, he went to Washington state university and then, you know, I went there.
0: Mm. What was the uh, biggest culture shock for you right away? Like just early on, was it, was it the food? Was it the way people talked? Was it relationships? Like what, what, like, what are a couple of things you were just like, wow, okay, this is different.
1: (laughs) It was relationships, you know, um, you know, the, the further west you go, the more individualistic the culture becomes. Mm. The further east you go, the more communal it becomes. Mm. And so I came from a culture where, you know, community and family and extended family was everything. And, um, you know, that intimacy just wasn't there. You know, in the U.S., when I first came to the U.S., there there were some... Definite walls in between people. Like this is my space, this is your space, this is my life, this is your life. You know, I give you a really good example. You know, in Iran, if you go to someone's house for an hour to a week, let's put it this way, um, you become the top of the hierarchy, you become the top of the food chain. You basically decide what you want to do, how you want to do it, what, what everybody is, eats. And why that is, mm-hmm. is because Iranians believe you're a guest, you're there for a limited time, so let's make sure you have the best possible time, the, the best memory from from this uh, mm-hmm. this experience. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., is no, you're in my house, you're under my rules.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: that's right, all the shots.
1: I, I, so. yeah, I can
0: see that. I could, yeah, I, I can see that. Well, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. What's the biggest misconception we have as Americans about, you know, Iranians or, or you know, anybody over in the Middle East? What's our biggest mis- misconception, you think, just generally?
1: You know, um, there are two actually about. Iranians. One is um, what you see in, on TV, and you know the government and the, mm-hmm. the mullahs and the regime. Don't believe that. That's not representative of okay. people. People are like me. You know, they are educated. They are worldly. They are. Um, you know, they, they want to get along, they want to live their life, right. they believe in progress, you know, they don't want, they don't wish death on anyone. Right, right, right.
0: They don't, they don't wake up and go, I want conflict in my life, right? They, Not just, at
1: all. Yeah. It's, you know, there is the government and a handful of people that you just constantly see on TV. And then um, the second is about women, really. You know, there is a belief that Iranian women and, and Middle Eastern women, but since I'm Iranian, I just speak on my own you know, country of birth. Iranian women are far from subservient, actually quite the opposite you know we are feisty we are fighters we we you know we there we are forced to be reckoned with and and Iranians Iranian women have been the number one thorn on the government side since the beginning you know they've been trying to get women to wear the hijab and cover up and practice right. you know islamic laws and they've been you know for 40 years they've been having a really hard time doing that because we are we we're not as subservient as others think.
0: You know, I I would have su- uh, assumed you were, right? Just just being an average, I don't know, regular American guy. I sure. would, yeah, just assume that, yeah, you couldn't say anything, couldn't do anything or whatever, you know. You're just kind of under the thumb of the husbands for, for whatever. So that's not true. That's inter- That's good to know, actually. I'm glad to know that.
1: <laughs> you know, the- don't get me wrong. You said we couldn't say anything. We couldn't do anything. You're right about that. The the laws of the country actually forbid women from pretty much doing, you know, a lot of stuff. So the constitution actually counts a woman, half of a man, the constitution of the country. Um, Yes, we are extremely limited. (laughs) Yeah. So in court, there have to be two women to testify. For their word to equate one man. What? Then, yes,
0: oh, yes. Oh my. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: So. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh my. Gosh. Um, there, there are, there's, you know, the law is written to limit women, but that's not. That doesn't mean that women have accepted that. So they've okay. been fighting that um, since they won.
0: And so you came over here when you were what would that be? 18, 19, something like
1: that. 18.
0: 18 and I mean, you live giving lived
1: away in- my age dude but yes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry
0: it, lived it, here ever okay. since said so, so lived here ever since yeah and did you want to be an engineer
1: you know um I wanted, like, to ah, mathemat- ah. I wanted okay. to be a mathematician I wanted to be a mathematician
0: okay and
1: uh then i realized very quickly that that doesn't pay very well
0: oh all right
1: oh so, <laughs> the economics came into the picture And so the closest uh, adjacency was engineering.
0: Okay. All right. And then uh, what happened? uh, You went to work for Hewlett Packard pretty early. Was that right out of college?
1: Actually, before I graduated from college. Yeah. Um, HP hired me before I graduated and I worked for them full time. And then, you know, the last year I I finished my college working for HP, um, which was amazing at the time. you know, there were a lot of the early HP way, uh, values were very, very, uh, present and I am indebted to HP and, uh, Bill and Dave for the rest of my life because, Mm -hmm. um, they instilled such, you know, amazing work ethics and values in me and every, every HP employee that we're going to carry it for us with us for forever. Um, You
0: you had a nice 13 year run there. And then, um, yeah. Walk us through the rest of your career after HP. And I'm just curious how the entrepreneurial bug, you know, how'd that get Sorry, in yeah. there? How'd the, yeah. Yeah. How'd that get in there? Walk us through the, the transition there from big company to small company entrepreneurial stuff. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, um, I, I, uh, after HP I got recruited to go run product development for a big $2 billion company. I did that, enjoyed that. That was in Chicago. And, um, uh, Chicago and us, meaning um, my, at the time, fiance and I, we just didn't get along very well. So we moved to Colorado um, and um, again, I worked for a couple of- For a job? We actually decided to move before I had the opportunity. I actually left that position that I had um, in Chicago without having secured a job. And we decided- yeah we decided that um, we're not gonna be enslaved to a house and a geography. We just, we have to, it wasn't working for us. It was making us miserable. So we decided mm. to move to Colorado and then serendipitously, the job got secured at the same time.
0: How did you and select Colorado? Why Colorado? Had you been here on like a ski trip or something? Or you knew people here?
1: We, we came to Colorado for one weekend. We came to uh, Denver for one weekend, and we were like, this is it. This is
0: this where is it. Live. This is it. <laughs> this was in we 2011?
1: That was in 2010, and then I started the new job in 2011.
0: Uh, did you visit? I'm just curious. Did you visit in the winter, spring, summer? Do you remember what, what season it was when you visited for that weekend?
1: It was November.
0: Really? And okay. Okay. it
1: was so cold. It was so cold. It was like one of the coldest weekends in Colorado, but we just loved it. I don't know what to tell you. We loved it. It spoke you know, to us.
0: You know, it's a pretty awesome place to live, isn't it? I mean, it is. <laughs> it I is know all the listeners so out there that good. don't live in Colorado. They hear me say that on the podcast all the time. They're like, "Oh, geez, here he goes talking." It is a pretty I awesome do. place. Okay, so you got here, and then you landed the job. You worked for Crocs, I think. Is that where you worked first?
1: I did, yeah. I worked for Crocs for three and a half, four years, something like that, and it okay. was amazing. Um, and Crocs was, um, they weren't purchased, but they, the majority share was uh, purchased by the biggest private equity firm, mm-hmm. one of the biggest, one of the top three, called Blackstone. And so Blackstone came in and, um, you know, private equity did what private equity does, which is they, they take over a company, they bring their own crew, they let go of most of the previous crew Mm -hmm. and I was most of the previous crew. So uh, management level. Um, And so it was a, you know, it was a um, amicable separation. So I still am in touch with the new um, administration of Crocs and I'm very, very good friends with the former CEO of Crocs. He is, you know wonderful human being
0: Is this john mccarville
1: and john mccarville yeah I, he is a I, wonderful I, human yeah. being yeah, yeah yeah
0: i know i know him yeah yeah we've talked a few times matter of fact okay
1: very yeah, good yeah.
0: um all right so then changes happened
1: yeah um, moved on to otterbox um otterbox. Yeah. Okay. yeah that was a great company that was a great run as well and then the founder of otterbox um came back in he was a chairman. Mm-hmm. And uh, he really didn't believe in the way that um, the executive team and the senior leadership team, myself included, uh, were managing the company, were driving the company, and that's within his rights as a founder uh, to do what he wants. So, um, you know, I moved on from Motorbox again, no hard feelings. It was a mutual separation. And that was when... <laughs> I got approached by a couple of founders to become a co-founder of a startup. And that was my very first introduction to the whole startup ecosystem. And by then, Um,
0: when they called you by then, you had already been in a few positions where really you're more into product management, marketing, merchandising type of stuff not not uh, not engineering right i just want to make sure the the listeners knew that you you had through that career there you had you weren't just an engineer i just wanted to point that out and and go ahead yeah go ahead yeah
1: that's correct i i kind of made a hard shift when we left uh chicago from engineering Mm -hmm. into marketing and marketing analytics yeah and um you're absolutely right. I was not in a technical role when, um, in the, the prior few, few roles, yeah. but, but my technical background really came to my aid and still okay. does. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I got, um, into a phone this, call A phone call yeah, from, from somebody you knew call. like
0: a friend said, Hey, come over here. We want to start something.
1: <laughs> no, actually it, she wasn't a friend. Um, uh. you know, she, um, no, not at all. Uh, no. Oh, we, you didn't I'd know I'd never her. Okay. met her. I'd never okay. met her. So we had several conversations and I, I thought with myself, okay, well, let's do the startup thing, I suppose, you know, oh, <laughs> that's what that's about. Because
0: you, uh, you had not worked for a small company at that point. This is your first small startup, right? Were you, were you, yeah. were, were you a little nervous
1: about it? No, I no. don't get nervous. No, uh, no? okay. I okay. just, I'm like, <laughs> well, let's just see what it's about. But I learned a lot. I mean, there's nothing like working for a, an unfunded, early stage seed startup. Oh, my goodness. That was, uh, that was a challenge I, mm. on all fronts. So um, I learned us? a lot. What was yeah, the name of the ahead.
0: business? Can you talk about it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, that business doesn't exist anymore. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. It, uh, it was called Bolt Betty's. Okay. And, um, it, uh, the mission of Bold buddies was to eliminate intimidation from outdoors and adventure for women and me being a big proponent of women, uh, you know, that was really the selling factor. It was something that was, you know, trying to, uh, level the pr- playing field, uh, for women. And I really enjoyed meeting the founder and I liked her a lot and the, the co-founder, et cetera. Um, unfortunately things didn't work out as as well as i had hoped um uh, a couple uh, a couple things first uh, there were three alpha women at the helm and so you know um conflict is bound to happen mm-hmm. and and it did happen and unfortunately we did not have a uh, the best way of resolving that conflict and and somebody had to step out so that had to be me and um that said, you know I was a, an investor in in that company. I Ooh, actually had I, placed my I, own capital I in see. the company, and I had brought in the investors that had uh, funded the company the seed round at its entirety. Mm. So I had I was very very vested in the success of the company even after I, I moved on, mm. um, and so there were, that was like my first. Um, Introduction into the startup world. And after I left Bull Betty's, I said, okay, I'm just going to do consulting. I'm going to go back to the corporate world Mm -hmm. and um, I'm done with the startup life. (laughs) It wasn't for me. Well, I thought I was done with it, but the startup life wasn't done with me. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I kept getting um, pinged by founders and entrepreneurs for advisory positions for consulting, um, particularly about fundraising. And, okay. and um, you know, I'd learned a lot about fundraising through my, my you know, my fundraising at Bold Betty's and also watching my, my CEO do the fundraising. So then, you know, I, I started becoming a, a startup founder, a startup advisor, a founder advisor. And I realized that I really, really enjoyed that. And, um, and then I stumbled into investing um, as a, as a, you know, managing partner of a boutique investment firm. Okay. And, and now entrepreneurs were coming to me for money. Um, and I started realizing how they were approaching this the wrong way. So that was, that went more in the whole, you know, knowledge base I had about fundraising, startup fundraising. And then finally I decided, you know, I'm just going to put all this now, rather than doing one-on-one conversations with founders, I'm just going to put all of this knowledge into an online Academy so that it can be accessible to more than the person that has direct access to me. Ah, And, um, that's how startup fundraising Academy was born.
0: I see. All right. And that you started that what, January, 2019, early 2019, somewhere in there. Yes, I did. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, early and, and, how, and how does it work exactly? Do you sign up? Or if you're a founder and you want advice on raising cash and pitch decks, you sign up, you, you, you go through an Academy and you pay a fee walk, walk me through how the, what's the business model.
1: Yeah. So there are different ways you can benefit from the course. You can, you can purchase the course at its entirety and watch the videos. Uh, at your convenience. These videos are um, professionally taken and edited. It's not me sitting in front of my, my computer camera and talking you know, on <laughs> YouTube. Um, and uh, they never expire. You can download them. Uh, you can download all the content, uh, the, um, the slides. There are tests. There are 10 modules oh. uh, for fundraising that you can, you can purchase. And, and and benefit at your own leisure now some founders say i just want your advice i don't need that i just want your advice okay and i do offer that you know given that it is a, a an extended period of time um also you know they can they can have the videos and my advice for another you know for for as a as another package one of the things that i realized um after I put the startup fundraising academy together, is I really don't have time to market it appropriately. The whole B two C marketing, you know, one mm-hmm. to many marketing, is uh, I underestimated it. You know what it would take to market it appropriately. So mm-hmm. now I'm shifting the business model and I'm going to B two B. So uh, startup fundraising academy will be offered. Uh, through other uh, organizations, enterprises that uh, really try to help founders um, get a leg up on their venture. So one of those organizations is WorkAbility, which is a co-working space, the fastest growing co-working space in uh, the nation, actually. Mm-hmm. The, they, had, they were um, featured by Washington Post. And so they will be offering startup fundraising academy mm-hmm. uh, in some way, uh, shape, or form. We're working through the the details. The Got other on. organization is uh, Women Who Start Up. That okay. Will yeah, that.
0: sounds like a nice pivot. I li- I like the, the the pivot right there. Probably a great idea, um, because then you can execute helping people without having to uh pound the pavement in in the marketing aspect of it you know like you said b to every day which is super tough so yeah no it's a great idea Thank okay you. so, so, so you're in the middle of that pivot right now then basically i
1: am yes i am i am oh,
0: okay all right and all right do you know uh anybody over at rocky ventures club or uh, any of those folks
1: i do a lot of them
0: okay okay so Paul Foley was on the Rider Flex podcast right 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 Um, yeah
1: Paul is a great friend yes okay
0: so organizations like that is that who you're is that a similar type of organization you would target to, to to try to you know, That's correct. Okay. That's okay. correct.
1: Yes. Um. And and RVC would be a um a great candidate, and I've had mm-hmm. some preliminary conversations with them as well. Um. At the time that we were talking, it wasn't the right time for them, but but maybe in the future.
0: So all this was started because you had people calling you saying, "I have an idea. I ha- I'm an aspiring entrepreneur." me and my partner just started a business. I need to do a pitch deck. I want to raise cash. I, I don't know how to do it. It all kind of started from that and you giving these people advice and then saying, well, okay, I don't mind helping people, but it'd also be nice to create a business around helping them so I can get paid too, which is great. Uh, that's how the world works. Yeah. Um, okay, very good. Let me. Can I ask you some of the mo- some things that you see? I'm sure you've seen a lot, right? With people asking for money or pitch decks. Can I ask a few questions around that? Of course. What what are what's what are a couple of common mistakes you see from the average pitch? You know, if you just the pitch itself. Yeah, the pitch itself. Or or, all right. So maybe we should separate that into. um, How about how about you give some common mistakes on the pitch deck, and then some common mistakes. That you see from the founders, their their behavior in their in their pitch. Maybe you just tie all that together. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, in terms of uh, pitch deck, uh, one of the common mistakes that I see is the founder doesn't really explain what the problem is. <laughs> it's it's all about the solution. Oh. And 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 that you know. It, in engineering, we actually we have a little because we we love we love coming up with stuff, right? Engineers love coming up with a better mousetrap, mm. and so we uh, we usually we we coined that phrase that that's a solution looking for a problem, right? The world doesn't need a better mousetrap, you know. But um, so one of the common mistakes is that it's it's all about the solution when I don't really understand what the problem is, and then. Further, you know, they they really do need to look at it as a I mean the investor is looking at it extremely objectively. Is this going to make money or is it not going to make money? And if it's going to make money, how much money is it gonna make compared to another 12 you know pitch decks that I'm gonna look, right? And so um, a lot of times the founder falls in love with their idea. And instead of, uh, they, and, they, instead they, of
0: clearly they, identifying here's a problem, here's the solution, here's how you and here's how you're going to make money, Mr. and Mrs. Investor, and here's and here's when you're going to get the exactly. money back.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just extremely objectively. How
0: how many pages do you think a pitch deck should be?
1: Less than fifteen.
0: Okay, less, than, less than fifty. All right, all right, very good. And then, you know, with with the founders that are asking for cash, do they ask for too much? Generally, not enough. Um, you know, do do they do they often you know talk to me about that asking for the amount? Uh, yeah. Rook, What's your, What's your opinion on that? Go ahead.
1: Well, there is a methodology to figure out, you know, to figuring out what the amount is, um, and the founders have to be able to explain that to an investor why they're asking for for that much, and you know, it's not so much the amount that that matters here; it's more of the thought process the investor wants to see. That w- how does the founder think about? you know, money. Um, if I tell you, hey, you know, why 2 million? And you tell me, well, people tell me 2 million and that's, that's not good enough. If you tell me, okay, because 2 million is going to pay for, I don't know, my product development, my uh, marketing and my operations, my rent for 12 months, Then I'm going to ask you, so that means that you should be fundraising now for your next round, the round after this as well, Mm. because you need to think about 12 months of fundraising. (laughs) So as you're talking to me right now, are you talking to other investors about your next round?
0: Mm. And,
1: And you just have to understand how the founder thinks. And that is so important. Uh, for a founder to be able to get credibility, not just by their, their knowledge and their uh, domain expertise, but also about mm-hmm. strategic thinking. How how do you think about strategic planning for your business?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I hope that so, answers the question.
0: Yeah, very good. No, 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 very good. Um, would you rather invest in... I'll give you these two choices: choice A or B. So let's say A is an awesome product with OK founders, and B is awesome founders with an OK product.
1: Oh, B, <laughs> B, <laughs> every day, <laughs> every day. Yeah, right? I, it? it's really about the founder.
0: It is, isn't it? And and when you um, you know, when when you're visiting with co-founders, especially you know is how often have you seen a situation where two co-founders walk in and their product is awesome you know they're making a new i don't know i'm looking at a remote control so I'll use it. they made a new remote control but but they're just they're just either they're assholes or you can tell they don't get along or i mean how often has that happened? and you're just like
1: <laughs> you know um I can't say, I mean, it, it happens enough. I can't say that I've seen it happen often because generally speaking, my conversations uh, with, at least with the portfolio companies that, you know, mm-hmm. I've invested in um, it's, it's one-on-one it's me and the founder. It's not mm-hmm. really me and the team. Okay. Um, and I actually appreciate that. That's a sign of a very strong founder that they, they try to be the voice, the, fa- the, the face of the brand, the face of the company. And you know let me not see the dirty laundry if there is any that said you know having gone through my the startup experience that i had that the, the other founders and i broke up um, i see you know how important the founder alignment is and it, somebody gave me this very sage sage advice they asked me how you know how long prior to you becoming a co-founder in this company how long did you know the other two founders and my answer was just a few months and the person told me you don't you don't pick co-founders like that mm-hmm. starting a business starting a company is like a marriage mm-hmm. you don't you know yeah a lot of people I guess maybe a few, after a few months they get married but but generally speaking you know your partner for far longer than just mm-hmm. a few months mm-hmm. and you understand everything about them before you sign the document and so that's what um, I would advise other founders is that you know I mean I see like a lot of times on different forums people say I'm looking for a co-founder and I'm thinking gosh I hope it works out you know Uh, I hope it works out
0: Uh, oh yeah that's that that is really good advice um yeah you you really need to know who you're going to be working with 24 7 because if you're doing a startup if you're doing a startup you're going to work a hell of a lot more than you will if you're just a regular employee and you're going to be side by side with this co-founder uh you know so you you better be real comfortable with them their family having dinner together whatever it is you better know who, who you're signing up Uh, to work with. I totally agree. Let's, let's move into, uh, I want to ask you before we run out of time, um, you've been an advisory board member, you have board experience. Um, I want to ask you a couple of questions. The first one is what, what's your, what makes up a great board member? How would you define an awesome board member?
1: Yeah. So let me, let me make sure I answer your question uh, correctly. I have been, an advisory uh, board member. That's correct. And I have been um, a nonprofit board member. I have not had, unfortunately, and that's what I'm seeking right now. I have not had a true traditional corporate board member role, which is what I'm asking for uh, what I'm, what I'm seeking right now. But, um, to your point, the question is what it, what makes an awesome, um, board member. So as a board member, uh, the number one, uh, responsibility of the board member is to the company, to the business. It's not to the people that run the company. It's not to the employees. It's to the company, and again, that requires extreme objectivity. Mm. That's by law. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I mean, there are lots of people that go to jail because they can't, they don't uphold that fiduciary responsibility. And so, for me, the best boards that I have been a part of, and you know, when I was at corporate, you know, I presented to the board on a frequent basis. Mm-hmm. The best board members really maintain that objectivity but with an element of humility and and care for people and i give you one example and i'll name her because um you know she she deserves the credit uh crocs has a board member by the name of doreen wright and um she's on half dozen other boards too and right before um you know, right before uh Blackstone um did the workforce reduction, you know, we all had a feeling that this is gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And um I knew Doreen on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And so I um was nervous about my job. I wanted a way to influence thing. And so I went and sat down with Doreen and I said, hey, Doreen, you know, um, I, I'm concerned about my job and I really want to have a part in this chapter two, et cetera, et cetera. And she couldn't disclose anything to me, obviously, because, right. you know, I still had a job and they weren't, but well, we all could feel it. Um, but what she did tell me was she, without telling me that, Arzu, yes, you're, you're going to lose your job, She helped me see how I could move past that block Mm -hmm. and really make myself valuable beyond Cox. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was a great sage advice to me. And yes, they they had the the layoffs and I was one of the people that got laid off. And and, um, I knew she knew at the time we had that conversation Mm -hmm. and I knew she had a part in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I hold absolutely nothing but utmost respect for her because she, up, she upheld what the company needed to do, but she also helped me as a human to to move past that.
0: Mm. Why why aren't there more women on boards? Let's talk about it. And by the Great way, I know question. that I, I, I know that could be a I know that could be like a two hour podcast just on that question. But yeah, um, give me some yeah, give me some some input around that. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, i know you're, you're thinking to yourself you should have asked me that 45 minutes ago now i only have 10 minutes
1: <laughs> i think you know so boards uh the way bro- board recruitment has uh happens is who you know mm-hmm. and when you look at the average age of a board member right um majority of boards you know are men i think that right now we have 20 percent women on corporate boards i think is that what the stat
0: is is that the stat okay yeah
1: 20 to 25 percent so when you look at it 75 percent of men average age of 62
0: is that what the average age is okay i didn't know that all right 62
1: average age of 62 um who do they interact with do they interact with women or do they interact with men well you know just just um, naturally they interact with men they go to dinner together they go to golf things together etc 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 and then yep. they hear so and so is looking for a board role so you you hire who you know you hire who you're like and so to really equal equalize the playing field it's not going to happen naturally because the natural behavior is we mm. hire who is like us. Mm. And I don't think that there is this, you know, campaign against women that oh, let's make sure women are shot out of the boards. No, it's not that. It's more of the system as it ha- happens today and that's my opinion. Mm. The system as it happens today benefits the majority. And you know, you know, um, I I to, to really I, equalize I, the playing field
0: you know, there needs to be some function. I can uh, relate, I guess is the right word. You know, even at Rider Flex, um, when we first started building our advisory board, um, and even when we first started the podcast, uh, it just naturally gravitated. Just like you said, I called the people that I knew. I was like, okay, well, I need an advisory board. Who do I, who do I know that runs a company? Who's a friend of mine that runs a company? Oh, I know Bobby, Johnny, you know, whoever. And so I called those guys because <laughs> that's who I knew. Like I just didn't even—that's
1: how you know. Yeah. You know,
0: quite honestly, I didn't even really think about it until you know somebody pointed it out uh, and said, "Hey, you know, you, you got all all guys on your board, and you got all guys on your first fifteen podcasts." And I, I remember thinking, "Wow, yeah, I do. Okay, I don't. right, I didn't. You know, shame on me for not even. I, I I didn't intentionally like have this like you said malicious plan or anything." It just kind of happened that way. I think you're right. I, I, I tend to agree that I don't think there's a conspiracy necessarily, at least not with most people, to do it that way. I think it's they call who they know. They, they play golf with Bobby, and Bobby says he's looking for a board seat, so they introduce Bobby to Johnny, and, that, you know, that's how it works. Exactly. Um, exactly. And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the part of the way you fix that is to be conscious, conscious of that and remind yourself like okay hold on a minute let me let me be, you know uh, let me just you know kind of reflect on what i'm doing here and make a concentrated effort to have more diversity on, on these decisions and if you do think of it that way it will change that's exactly what we did at ratoflex i immediately started pinging people uh like yourself to have on the podcast because i made a concentrated effort to to resolve that and i think that's what you have to do so if you're out there and you're what'd you say the average board member was 62?
1: 62.
0: If, if you're out there and you're that 62-year-old guy and you got an empty board seat, don't just go play golf this afternoon and talk to your buddy about it. <laughs> you know, make a concentrated effort to try to to try to show some diversification because it can be done. Exactly. Um, um, and, and int- I
1: commend you, Steve, for for um...
0: recognizing it or try, you know, yeah, that was the first step is recognize it. Exactly,
1: exactly. Uh, and, and being conscious about it, you know, most people, unfortunately, I don't know, there's, there's a, an element of defensiveness, oh, you yeah. know, um, yeah. and, 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 you know, that could be for a variety of reasons, the right, wrong, or indifferent, but, you know, for, for you to recognize them and say, hey, I'm going to do something about it. Um, yes. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I remember that phone call uh i won't i won't name who it was but i had a i had a very powerful uh lady uh in my life and she called me she goes hey she goes you know all your advisory board members are white guys right
1: <laughs> <And>
0: i said <laughs> "I said, oh shit, yeah you're right I got, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway i'm not making light of the situation as is because it is a real problem it does need to be addressed but uh i think you hit the nail on the head just be conscious of it recognize it and then take some actions to try to uh, resolve it. And I think you will over time, at least that's what we're trying to do. We've already fixed the, we've already fixed the podcast guest uh, list a bunch by having more powerful women on the show. And now I'm working on the advisory board uh, list for Rider Flex uh, to get more women there. Um, the one thing I just wanted to add on to your note about what, what makes up a good board member, just real quickly, uh, and then I'll ask you my last question. Um, if you are going to be on an advisory board or, or a board of directors, either way, beyond the fiduciary responsibility, you know, it's just be um, genuinely active. D- don't don't be on the board just so you can say I'm on a board. And there, and I and I honestly believe there's a lot of people that do that. They're like, oh well, I sit on five boards, and so then they go to the country club and they're like, yeah, I sit on five boards, and they think it's super cool to tell their friends they sit on five boards meanwhile they don't participate they don't add value they don't challenge they don't ask the right questions because i've dealt with boards like that myself having having run a couple of 40 million dollar companies myself um while the board members that were challenging um were sometimes a pain in the ass at least they provided value (laughs) right 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 you know, versus the guys that just sat there. Okay, thanks for the board book. When do we go to dinner and have happy hour? I'm like, okay, well, I just, <laughs> yeah. I just spent two weeks killing myself preparing that board book, and you guys are, all you want to do is go to happy hour. That doesn't help me.
1: <laughs> I agree. Uh,
0: anyway, I agree. hey, uh, um, Arzu, last question. Um, if you had to put your core purpose the definition of your core purpose into a sentence in your life right now, what, what, what would that sound like?
1: My goodness. That's deep, dude.
0: It's a deep, that's <laughs> deep, just deep. Take a breath. Ooh, let me see. Yeah, go ahead. Think about it. Think about it. How would you, and by the way, you probably change your answer after you finish the podcast. There might be something different next week.
1: No, actually, you know, interesting you say that because I've been working on this, and here's my little, you know, Oop. thingy box about okay. this. All right. So let me read you. Oh, ho, whoa, <laughs> whoa, the last what? version because oh. this is. Uh,
0: Okay, Yeah. I've, I've, never is, had any, I've never had anybody do this before. This is going to be good. I'm going to like it. Well,
1: I mean, I, I, it is something that I think about all the time, you know, is what awesome. is my compass. And so let me just read you the last version. Awesome. And it's somewhere here, I promise you. <laughs> Where did I put it? This is it?
0: good. This is good. Did you actually have it defined as the header core purpose or is it is something like that?
1: It is something like that.
0: Okay. Um, Why I wake up every day?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, oh, there
0: it is. I really struggled to answer the question myself. I remember the first time somebody challenged it, me with that question. I, I didn't. I couldn't answer it really. I, I, for weeks I spent time. It's putting hard. It I mean,
1: and you know, really um, making it concise. Hmm. Um, so, and I have very, very variety of versions here, but here's, here's the latest version.
0: Okay. Go for
1: it. Um, serving others and helping them navigate life and find it within them to keep going.
0: Hmm. I like it. Especially like the last part. Um, cause it's easy to give up. It's easy to, get out the white flag and just be like, ah, I give up. You know, this is too hard. It's too hard. Yeah. I, can't keep, I can't keep going. Yeah. You got it. You got to keep going. I mean, uh, you know, there's so many sayings we could put in there, right? I mean, the, you are going to get punched in the face. You are going to, you know, you're going to trip, you're going to fall. You just got to keep going. You got to keep pushing forward. None of it's going to be easy. I mean, that's the key, especially for startup. Right. If you're, if you're, if you're planning on signing up for startup and you want to be a founder of a startup startup company, <laughs> You better, you better get your armor on because you're gonna have to. You, you're gonna have to keep going, right? Just keep going. Have the courage to keep going. Keep charging forward. I like that. That's good, Arzu. Very good. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you for Thank sharing. You very much. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate you being on the Rider Flex Podcast. The Rider Flex Podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, Please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.